Tell me what love is. You know it, shout it out. What's love? Patience? God is love. What else? Excuse me? What's love? Brett, what is love? Very good. What else? What's love? Companion. Companion, yes. What else? What's love? I can wake y'all out. Y'all want to get out and get here on time? You better help a brother out. <laughs> yeah, here they come. Uh huh. Get out on time, boy. Chop, chop. Kindness. What else? Showing people that you care. What else? Love is great. Kindness, unconditional. A commitment. Is it a choice? Adult Sunday school, is love a choice? Would you agree that small details are very important? Consider some examples. If you and your family are leaving on a dream vacation to Hawaii, it's important to remember your airplane tickets. Amen? Just a small thing. If you and your friends are going to go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, it's important to remember to fill the gas tanks in your boat. Small detail, right? If you had the oil changed in your car, it's pretty important that you tell the attendant to tighten that oil plug. Small detail, pretty important, amen? Today, I want to address an area of our lives that I think needs more attention to detail. And that's our love life. We use that word love in so many different ways, so many different contexts. We tell our relatives that we love them. We tell our fellow church members that we love them. We tell our children that we love them. We can love food, pets, activities, possessions. We can love nature, places. We can even love God's blessings. However, sometimes words can lack meaning. Words without substance are meaningless. Likewise, love without action is meaningless. So it's very important that we pay attention to the details. It's very important that we pay attention to the finer details, the finer points of love. Ladies, how would you feel if your husband or your boyfriend told you all the time that he loved you, but he never expressed it. That'd be pretty difficult. We'd be like the, the couple that I heard about. They had been married 30 years, and the wife complained that her husband never expressed his love for her. The man said, I told you 30 years ago that I loved you, and if I change my mind, then I'll let you know. It's like... Once in a lifetime does a body good, amen? Well, love is a big theme in February, especially with Valentine's Day stuck right in the middle of it. So during this February, uh, as a result of our Sunday school class, uh, a series of messages that has sprung out of our discussion on love and what it is and love and what it isn't, I want to preach a series of messages for you entitled, The Finer Points of Love. 
And it will. It'll tell us what love is, and it'll also tell us what God says it's not. So let us learn, learn as we take a hard look at 15 qualities of love that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's jump right in. Go with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'd like to share the whole chapter, and then we'll break her down a little bit. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, writes to these believers. He's writing to Christians, okay? And he tells them this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have becoming like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Does not, is not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. Verse 6, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Say that with me. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know just as I'm also known. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is Say it with me. Love. Love. Let us pray. Father, human beings think they know about love. We think we understand love, Lord. But so many times we get it all wrong. So many times we give the wrong impression of love. So we pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us to understand what you say love is and what you say love isn't so that we can express love to unbelievers and to those who are hurting and need to experience the love of God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Did you notice there that the first trait that God says, who said? The first trait that God said the quality of love is is that love suffers Long. Love is patient with other people. Now that word long-suffering is one of my favorites since I've grown to understand it. And it means to not be turned away easily from someone. Not easily turned away from someone. And the original word in the New Testament describes long-suffering as having patience with people, not necessarily patience with our circumstances i can't speak for you but oftentimes i get very impatient with my circumstances that may not be such a bad thing but i can't be impatient with people 
We need to learn patience with people. This word long-suffering describes a person who is slow to anger, and many times in the Bible, it describes the kind of love that God has for people. Peter reminds us of this in 2 Peter 3, 9, where he says that the Lord is not slack. He's not slow concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all, say all, that all should come to repentance. He's not very apt to turn away from us, but to continue pursuing us that we might belong to him. So in relating to others, you and I are called by the Lord our God to exercise the same patience that God exercises with us. And that can be difficult. Can I get an amen? amen. That's right. It can be difficult. When we exercise the finer points of love, we learn to be patient with other people. Now, has uh, anybody here ever encountered somebody that's just plain old mean-spirited? Come on. We ain't judging. We're just, everybody's pointing to Tim. It's the mean old spirit. Ever encountered somebody that relishes in hurting other people's feelings? Huh? All right, you guys. Poor Tim. Ever encountered somebody that, that has a sharp tongue and knows how to use it? Uh-huh. I call him a smart aleck when I was growing up. Smart aleck. It's... Amen. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes it's not easy being patient with people. But my point is this. While it's not easy being patient, we do have the grace of God that we can pray for and ask for. We have the grace of God that we can receive so that you and I can be long-suffering with others. Now, there are several areas of our lives where we need to be patient. We need to be patient, first of all, in church. How many of you know that people in church are not perfect? Do you know that? Everybody in church is not perfect. Just one, right? Okay. How many of you know that people in church will sometimes let you down? They will. How many of you know that some people in church struggle with personality issues? Amen. Some people do. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul prayed for this church in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul prayed that for Christians at a church. Because we need to be patient in a church. Pastor Tim Patrick I once shared about this one senior adult lady in his church. And this lady was constantly straining his patience. He said that her nickname should have been Grumpy. Amen? Almost every Sunday, Grumpy found something to grumble about. He recalls one time when Grumpy got grumpy. And she said, the, said something bad to the pastor, and the pastor had decided that it was time that he was going to go to her house and give her a piece of his mind. So after church, he went over to her house, and she had baked him two pies. 
What do you do with that? She could be sweet when she wanted, or she could be grumpy when she wanted. So what do you do? You be patient with people. What do you do? You don't easily lose heart with people. What do you do? You just suffer long with people. Not only must we learn patience in church, but we must also learn patience in marriage. Can I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> One of the passages that I love to use in weddings is Colossians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 12. Therefore, Paul says, as the elect of God, as Christians, holy and beloved, put on. Say put on. Put on. Put on. Because you have a choice, you know, right? You have a choice to put it on or not. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. We need to learn patience in church that even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. How many of the ladies here today have a project or a honeydew list that your husband still hasn't finished? <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> Amen. Well, I want to encourage you to be patient. I know. How patient do I have to be? Seven times seven. Amen. Seventy times seven. Now, how many of you husbands say have an issue with pillows in the house? There's pillows everywhere. Some people have problems. Now, who's laughing back there? Somebody had problems with pillows. Barry, Chuck, have problems with pillows. I think we have a problem here with pillows in our church. It seems like our pillows are having babies. Every time we come in, there's more pillows. And I understand why, and I'm thankful for it. But it's just crazy. Bottom line is this. How many of you know that men are different from women? Duh, right? Give me a duh. Say duh. Uh -huh. Okay. In more ways than one, right? How many of you know that that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Amen. You ought to read that book because men and women are different. Uh, but because we're so different, patience has got to become a very important trait in our life. Because it's, we're so different, it ought to become a very important quality. We've got to come to the realization that we are different. And then it's okay that we are different. But friends, in most cases, our differences ought to make our marriages balanced it ought to make our marriages strong. It ought to make our marriages interesting, to say the least, right? I mean, but differences are not bad. Differences between husbands and wives aren't intended to be bad. Instead, they should be sources of, sources of strength, not sources of conflict in our marriages. But understanding that takes patience. Understanding your spouse's differences takes patience. So we must learn to be patient in our church and we must learn to be patient in marriage but we must also learn to be patient at work listen to what paul wrote in timothy uh, in the letter second timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 but you have carefully followed my doctrine <clears throat> manner of life purpose faith long suffering love perseverance persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them yet all the Lord, the Lord delivered them all from me. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it's not easy 
being patient. But we must be long-suffering, not giving up easily, hanging in there and being long-suffering. This quality of patience may seem to be, to some, as kind of a wimpy characteristic. We like the strong type. We like the hard-going. We like the, the leader type. Anything but patient. But listen to what patience really is. Patience is godliness with control. God could strike you down right now. But he's patient with you. Godliness under control. And nowhere can we learn patience better than in dealing with children. Can I get a testimony? Children have this unique ability to bring out the frustration in adults. Amen? But in no other setting, in no other situation, do we have a greater responsibility and a greater opportunity to demonstrate godliness under control than when you're dealing with kids. You have no greater opportunity to reveal God's love through you than when you're dealing with children. Whether it be in the home or in church or in school, whatever the case may be. So the first trait that God says, say God says. The first trait that God says the quality of love is, is that love is active in long-suffering. Active in long-suffering. Here's the second quality for you. The Bible also says that love is kind. Can someone tell me what kindness is? Help me out. Understanding can be kindness. Sure, what else? Compassionate can be kindness. Sure, what else? Patience can be kindness. Amen. What else? Love. What else? You don't want to get out of here on time. You better snap with it. Generosity demonstrates kindness. What else? Self-control can certainly be kindness. What else? Forgiveness, yes. What else? Kindness is kindness. All right, I can go with that. Compassion. Caring. Amen. Doing for others. Helping. Very good. Listening. Come on. Kindness. What else? Treating them the way they want to be treated. Going the extra mile, good. Selflessness, sacrifice, very good. Amen, all these things. Understanding, amen. All of those uh, accurately define kindness. But let me give you a definition that I think really fits this definition of love as God has expressed it. Because kindness is the practice of doing. Say doing. Kindness is the practice of doing loving, compassionate, and constructive deeds for somebody else. It's the practice of doing loving things. It's the practice of doing considerate things. 
It's the practice of doing compassionate things for other people. That's what kindness is. And kindness should be displayed in church. I mean, if kindness can't be displayed here, should we expect it out there? It should be displayed here. Otherwise, there's no hope out there. Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, again in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. And he wrote, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another. This is a commandment from the Holy Spirit of God through Paul to a church, telling them that they ought to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. You know, I see kindness being displayed here at Bethel all the time. And it warms a pastor's heart. I get to see uh, visitors that come in from out of the area. I get to see visitors that come in from out of state. And sometimes they don't know a soul in here. And the people extend that, that right hand of kindness. Bethel Baptist is known for extending kindness, especially to visitors. When people come to this place, they ought to expect kindness. They ought to be expecting to receive the love of God through your kindness. And I believe that's a realistic expectation. Then there's the senior ladies Sunday school class. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Whether it be a member of that class, whether it be someone who's homebound, whether it be somebody who's a resident of the nursing home, they are the experts of showing God's love through acts of kindness. Boy, what examples they are for us to follow. So kindness should be displayed in church, but kindness should also be displayed in marriage. Another passage that I love to share at weddings is one that Terry White reminded me of when I was ordained. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it's so fitting for husbands and wives. Check this out. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. That means don't fake it. Amen? Let it be genuine. Let's be real. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in the spirit. Serving the Lord. Be kindly affectionate. Sadly, many marriages are like the one I read about. On their first visit to the marriage counselor, the couple kept blaming each other for all their troubles in their marriage. So to help them focus on their own flaws, the counselor asked each one of them this question. What have you personally done to contribute to your marital problems? Well, the wife went first and she said, well, for me it was getting angry, being prideful, growing impatient, uh, maybe showing jealousy. And the man said, for me it was marrying her. My, my, my. That's not very kind, is it? Kindness ought to be displayed in marriage. And friends, next, next Sunday night at 5.30, we are going to show that film, Courageous. And you're going to see where fathers are called to show kindness to their families and to others. But that movie is filmed by a church. And it's filmed by a church who recently filmed, or previously filmed, the movie Fireproof. And in that movie Fireproof, we saw that a marriage was saved. A marriage was saved. A marriage was 
fireproofed, if you will, by do 